The Polar Talks 2015 are brought to you in association with SAS Scandinavian Airlines. I'm Alphonse Karabuda and I'm the chairman of the Polar Music Prize Prize Committee. Today's speakers all meet the promise of being thought-provoking and they represent the latest in music and creativity. The first panel today will discuss artistic freedom of expression. Music, music creation and music creators are closely interlinked with democratic movements all over the world. And it comes to no surprise that freedom of expression and human rights are actively advocated by a broad range of antecedent laureates like Sir Paul McCartney, Rostropovich, Miriam Makeba, Gilberto Gil, Patti Smith, just to mention a few. And this year's laureate, Emily Harris, too is outspoken both on human and animal rights, joining earlier laureates like Peter Gabriel, among many other things, founder of witness.org in the Polar Music Prize Activist Club. Thus, it is compelling to argue that the Polar Music Prize Laureates Collective has become the basis for an artistic and creative think tank. And that is the outset of today's lectures and panel discussions. We are here to learn about the power of music from the collective discourse of almost a quarter of a century of Polar Music Prize laureates. So please join me as we enter this year's Salon of Polar Talks, where creativity, innovation, and the power of music will meet and mingle. Welcome. The Polar Music Prize, as you know, is awarded for significant achievements in music and or musical activity, or for achievements which are found to be of great potential importance for music or musical activity. And in many cases, achievements in music are closely connected with social events. Someone does something creatively that speaks to people in a whole new way, and someone else maybe realizes that this can be very dangerous. So what do we mean when we talk about the power of music? What is it in a few notes or a few lines of text that can do so much for an individual or for a society? To discuss this, please welcome the artists and composers Rami Essam and Stina Nilsson, and musician and president of the European Music Council, Ian Smith. So, Rami. Hi. Hi, and welcome, all of you. It's great having you here, and it's great having especially you three here, because I know that you all have been very active in, in the field of artistic freedom of expression. So, Rami, I met you first in 2011 uh, on a SCARP conference on music uh, and freedom of expression. And earlier that year, because of your performance on Tahrir Square, the army had 
beaten you, jailed you, cut off your hair. I really have to ask you, I mean, did you understand what you were doing? I mean, did you understand the impact of what you were doing when you created that music? No, I, I didn't think that, uh, that the music will hurt the government and the regime like that. And uh, when they arrested me in 9th of March and they were torturing me, even without asking me for any, to get any answers for anything, so I realized that uh, they really hurt it from the power of the music and the effect of how the songs could encourage the people in the square. So I realized that in this day, but I couldn't before. You have to tell us a bit about that, because you were at Tahrir Square, a crowd of two million people urging you to sing, and you wrote, you composed, and sang the anthem of that revolution called Irhal. Can you just describe how this, did this come about? Okay. Um, my start with the revolution in 2011, uh, the really start came from, I, I joined the struggle as a normal protester like everyone, and uh, the people started to use some chants and slogans against the regime. So for, uh, for like, uh, from a point of view of an artist, it was a little bit boring to hear the same things for like five days. So I picked up like the most three important chants, which Yaskot Yaskot Hosni Mubarak, Down Down Mubarak, Shabi Yurid Iskot Nizam, People Demand Removal of the Regime, Hawaii Yimshi, He Leaves, We Stay. And I added part, Kullina Eid Wahda, Talabna Haga Wahda Irhal, We Are All One Hand, Have One Demand, Leave. And uh, I succeeded to make it into song with a very simple, groovy, melodic like part. And I started to sing it in 1st of February in Tahrir Square. We started like 100,000 people in this day. After that, we became millions. It was so easy to reach people's hearts because uh, the lyrics were already written by them and they knew it. And it was really so effective. And we're still using the same uh, song till now, just changing a few words to make it fit against a new dictatorship. And it is a fantastic song. You have to check that out. Check it out on whatever, wherever you check out things on internet. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, I must say that when I heard that in Stockholm, I got the urge of actually you know, doing something. I didn't really know what the <laughs> but, but it really provoked something. You know, it's fantastic. Um, after one of my presentations at the UN Assembly during my work on the UN report on artistic freedom, uh, some delegates, they first, of course, said, we give you our full support, and uh, you know, this is very important to us. But they claim that it's still the artist's responsibility not to upset anyone. I mean, it's, um, and one of them, one of the delegates, chose to phrase it, isn't it enough for artists just to entertain? So, I would like to ask you, Stina, is it enough for artists just to entertain? Um. First, when I got this, saw this question before, it really provoked me because that, that's what I do, like write to, to, to change, to, to make a change. And, and um, I think like it's really, it's the artist's or human being's own uh, choice whether you want to provoke or make a change or if you just want to entertain. I mean, but um, it should never be like the artist's responsibility to not 
say something. I mean, it's, a, it's about freedom of speech and freedom, uh, creative freedom. For me, it's really, really important. But one of the things that, the, that this report also says is that the most important thing, or one of the most important things, is to independent is for making independent artistry by giving the artists authors' rights and the possibility to receive a fair compensation. And basically, what they said that if you can't afford to criticize, well, you can't afford to criticize. So it would be interesting to hear. Do you think we have that problem in Sweden as well? We're a pretty wealthy country in a way. <clears throat> Is it a problem not being able to, to afford uh, working with your art? Mm. It depends on if you mean uh, saying what you think or... Well, what I mean and what is said in the report is that you are sometimes forced into something that mm. is working commercially. Yeah, so, yeah. so basically, if you, want, if you want to earn money, you have to go into something mm. that someone else has decided for you rather than actually doing your stuff because you know that you won't be able to. Uh, right to now living. in Sweden, I don't think we have that uh, so much. I mean, if, it depends on if you want to make commercial music and earn money easier. Maybe it's, it's easier to, to write music that don't... Um, uh, yeah, no. like, um, it doesn't upset people yeah, either, and, or uh, challenge them, uh, in a way. Yeah, but, but I think, I mean, nowadays we have a lot of big artists, for example, Silvana Imam or Captain mm. Rad, that has a lot of listeners and they have really strong political messages. Absolutely. And, uh, but, um, but let me put this, uh, let me forward it to you also, Ian. You, you being the chair also and president of, of, of the European Music Council, what's your view on, on Europe in this sense? Is this a problem? Well, I, I think we often speak, um, those of us especially with some years of experience in our business in the music industry, we often say, and I've said it myself because I started off as a performing musician, not as a bureaucrat. I hope never to become a bureaucrat. I can't spell it. <laughs> so uh, I think it's really important when we hear people politically saying things like, well, of course, Europe has freedom of speech and freedom of expression. Yes. Most of Europe does, but parts of Europe increasingly don't. Yeah. We see the shame, and it is shame now, what's happening in Ukraine. And I'm not making any judgments. This is not the platform. But it, it worries us. It's not far away. And we see the strength. When we were together just some days ago, three of us, at the ISPA conference in Malmö, then again, all of Europe was there, but so was the rest of the world, North America, Far East, Near East, all together in one place. But the influence uh, and, and the quality of the input from the Nordic Baltic countries, and in the Baltic countries, a recent election in Estonia, uh, and, and in, sorry, in, in Latvia, where I'm going later this week, for the EMC Congress, where, as they call it, the Russian party is very strong. 
and they are concerned because just across the border are opposing views, and those opposing views are very little to do with culture and creativity, but everything to do with political influence, and that's concerning. So yes, we are very lucky that in music we do have freedom of expression more than we don't, but we must never be complacent and think that is the case all around, because we know it's not. Well, let me challenge you a bit on that, because um, well, you mentioned our, our panel uh, at the ISPA conference. We had another uh, uh, participant there, our uh, Minister of, of uh, Culture and Democracy, uh, Alice Barkunke, and she actually brought to our attention something also mentioned in the UN report, and that is that one of the most difficult and most important things that, that challenges that we have is really the problem of self-censorship. Mm -hmm. And that is something that she felt is really very present also in Sweden. So do you have any comment on that? You're telling us that most of the countries are democratic or we have freedom of expression, but do we really if we choose not to? Well, I th this is the challenge. It's the challenge of self rather than the challenge of nationality or uh, a more corporate identity. Uh, and I think that we have to be very careful that we continually challenge ourselves in our own attitudes. Uh, and I've been lucky that all my life has been spent in music, where in my experience, and it's only my experience, there have been very, very little division. But as you know, Alphonse, from our earlier conversations, when I was a young musician, it wasn't so. And I was lucky that I learned those lessons very early in, in Poland, pre-Glasnost, in Berlin, with the wall still erect. Elaborate then, a bit on that. Tell us a bit. Well, in, in, uh, uh, as you can see, I'm a little older than these two guys in the middle. Just a little, about 40 years. But uh, in 1976, I went with my orchestra. I was an orchestral horn player to the Autumn Festival in Warsaw, still a great, one of the great contemporary music festivals in the world. Um, and at that time, Poland was part of the Soviet bloc. Uh, and I went as a young, reasonably innocent 25-year-old um, with a great horn, with an instrument that you know, was the best that you, because that's what we all had. We were even sponsored by one of the manufacturers, so we didn't even have to buy it. It was provided for us. And you, my colleague and I, just playing horn duets in the band room in the hall in Warsaw, as we did all the time on tour, just to keep everything working. And in came two guys. Horn players are a little bit cliquey. They kind of attract each other for some weird reason. Uh, and these guys were the two horn players in the Polish Radio Symphony Orchestra. And they asked if they could join us and play with us, of course. All musicians, the answer is always, yes, of course, come in. So we found some more parts and we arranged ourselves and played. And I, we could see that there, a horn is a mechanical object, like a car, so it needs maintenance. And bits fall off uh, regularly, especially on tour. 
And we had a, a crate of spares, and we could see that their horns were not in the best of shape. So we are speaking to them, realizing that they couldn't have what we have because they weren't allowed to leave Poland. And if they did leave Poland on tour, their family was secure with the police. They couldn't travel, and their passports were retained. So that was lesson number one. But even more moving was when my colleague and I just lifted out of our case our box of spares, and without a word, just said, this is for you. And one started to cry. Now, I had never seen that. I had never been part of that emotion. But that was freedom of expression rather than freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. And it's a lesson I'll carry forever. It's a beautiful example. Rami, you have become a symbol. So you are a symbol of something that you, with your power, you've created that. Uh, but there have been in history, sometimes also where symbols are being used because they see, wow, this is a good, this is something that we can take advantage of. Have you experienced that after you became this symbol? Have, have, you, have, have people been trying to, to use you in a way that, that you were not uh, really comfortable with? Yeah, well, like directly after the 18 days when I started to be a little bit known in, in Egypt at least, um, all the parties, the political parties and the movements, they started to try to attract me to their side. But um, no, I refused all, all of the offers because, um, because of some reasons. I am an independent. I'm from the generation who born in 2011 with the struggle. So in Egypt, the political uh, community is so corrupted. So all the generation who born with the Egyptian revolution in 2011, we are like pure revolutionary who are really fighting for the freedom and for the poor people and for equality. And um, I didn't want to pollute my struggle with joining anything. And um, yes, I, I, th I think that's, that's always better to to give what you're doing for all the people, not, not just for, mm. for a few people with like a specific identity or, or ideology. Then I know you. You're not very easy to convince in anything. <laughs> <laughs> if you like it, you do it, which I, I respect very much. Stina, uh, tell us a bit about You lead workshops on the purpose of inspiring young people to creation and expression as a tool for change. So uh, what are these tools? <clears throat> um, self-confidence uh, for example like believe in yourself and to believe that you have the the strength to to make a change like one person can uh, can affect more uh, than for example one one uh, political party like we we used to ask the young people like what do you listen more, more to, political um, a pol politician or um, lyrics from a, from the artist that you like? And all of them always say uh, music. Like, so we talk a lot about how to use music as a tool for change and write about stuff that, like, 
is important to you and that you that you burn and your heart is yeah. burning for, so to speak. Which is and extremely important. You're doing a great job with that. Absolutely. Ian, tell us uh, then, you see these good examples, the ones that both Stina and Rami represent in this. You not being a bureaucrat, but you know some, and you know policymakers around mm. Europe and in the world. How do we support independent artists and voices of tomorrow? You, you have to get to the power brokers. It's very simple. Um, you have to get to the people who make decisions, whether they share your views or not. You have to get beyond that. And it, it's a game, but you have to learn to play it. And I think it's our role, and others like us, to make sure that this voice is strongly heard. And any barriers that come in front that they are unable as musicians to deal with, it's our responsibility to deal with those barriers and remove them wherever we can. And that, if you like, is the mission, certainly with the European Music Council, where our funders, our power brokers, are all sitting in Brussels with a, a very strong ability to change policies throughout Europe. We see right now what's happening, most recently with Greece, yesterday with Turkey. So we, we can't influence these individual uh, democracies, but more corporately and strongly with one voice. We, we can make sense to those people. We heard your minister just a few days ago, and it's people like her we need on our side, and she certainly is, but we need more with those voices that can speak for creativity and culture, because creativity and culture is the identity of any nation. And if you're in a small country like Sweden, or even more Scotland, then our music defines our culture, always. I'm a little biased, but that is my experience. And that will remain our experience when working with great artists like these, which it's a privilege to be with. Thank you, Ian. Thank you. Before letting Rami show us really how to put forward your views or your expression by actually singing and playing a song, I would like to ask you, Stina, how is the situation in Sweden? We will be talking quite a lot today about everything that is very, very in the front. We are front runners. We're in the forefront of technology, music. But is it a good climate? Are you optimistic for, for the future? Are you working with, with the young ones very much? Yeah, I am. I mean, I have been a minority, like, for forever <laughs> since I started music because of my... Um, because I'm a woman, and um, I mean, I started as a professional 10 years ago, and I've seen it increase a lot. Like nowadays, we're a lot of more, lots more female artists and female DJs, collectives, and it's growing. Mm -hmm. And um, also from the political perspective, I think we have more people like from because of the internet, like independent artists can, can reach out yeah. more now it's than, than yeah. since I started, like it was before MySpace and everything, so it's easier now. Uh, and uh, we have a long way still to go, but uh, we are getting closer. That sounds very good. And we'll explain what MySpace was at another time. <laughs> <laughs> Rami. Please, go ahead and, and sing us a song. Yeah.
And while Rami does that, uh, I can tell you that uh, we're actually launching a project here in Sweden, SCAP, where we're uh, putting songwriting in the municipal music schools. So they can act not only as musicians, but also create their own music. And hopefully that will also give us a strong new generation coming with their own uh, expressions and artistics. So, Rami. <laughs> like what's happening in Egypt now is that the only tool we're still having to fight the corruption and injustice and the military regime, especially now in Egypt, is the music and art, especially music and graffiti, which is working very well to keep the link between the struggle we started in 2011 and what will come in the future. And a lot of people have changed their minds 180 degrees for something better because of the art. I will sing Hela Hela. It's for workers' rights. And the lyrics written by Biram Tunsi from a long, long time ago. Jesus, 
عيلتي في يوم دفنتي مليت شاكباني حتى لاسيا وانا راح الوسايبكم هيلا 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 الله هيلا 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 الله هيلا 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 الله هيلا 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 Thank you so much, Rami, and keep the lookout for a new album coming out soon. It will be great. I've already heard some of it. So thank you very much, Rami, Stina, Ian. A big round of applause for this panel. Thank you for listening to the Polar Talks 2015, which are brought to you in association with SAS Scandinavian Airlines. For more from this year's Polar Music Prize, visit polarmusicprize.org.